Hi there, and welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. Today's message is part of a series called Gems from Galatians. For more teaching on the book of Galatians, be sure to get a hold of Kevin's newly released commentary on this important letter written by the Apostle Paul. Kevin's new commentary is available in paperback format from Amazon, in ebook format for Kindle, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Yes, good. So did everybody get hold of that, that Paul is the theological interpreter of the historical Christ? Everybody get that last week? And that, uh, that, that to me, I mean, when, I don't know whether, I don't think it's original with me when I heard it or found it. I mean, I was really excited about that. I said, wow, that's powerful. So the Gospels, the four Gospels present the historical Christ and Paul uh, presents, interprets uh, theologically the historical Christ. Okay, let's uh, turn to Galatians chapter, uh, chapter 1 now. We want to finish on this, uh, this particular part and then um, move deeper into it next week. Uh, so we'll go back to Galatians chapter 1. Now, the theme of our session last week was particularly the gospel according to Paul. So remember that we finished on the gospel according to Paul, that uh, Paul does follow the historical facts of Christ, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried, that Christ rose again, and that he was seen, that he was seen, that he was seen, that he was seen. Now, Paul is not contradicting the historical gospel there, so he confirms that. But then uh, later on he gets into my gospel, what he calls my gospel, and uh, as, uh, as we've said before, Paul is the theological interpreter of the historical Christ, and many things in the gospels were not explained. Jesus introduced them to the twelve, but Paul interprets them. That's the difference. So uh, let's pick up in Galatians chapter 1, and uh, verse 11 again, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation, or uh, New King James says, my former conduct uh, in times past in the Jews' religion in Judaism, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion, above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I confer not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days, but other the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and uh, was unknown by face under the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the face faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Uh, let's take a few verses out of chapter 2. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, 
but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for now, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man, per, no man's person. Uh, for they who seemed to be somewhat in confidence added nothing to me. But contrary-wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the left foot of fellowship. Uh, no, no, sorry, uh, the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they to the circumcision, only that they, uh, the, they would that we should be, remember the poor, the same which, which I also was forward to do. All right, now what we want to look at tonight on this, uh, on uh, the final part of chapter one and two, uh, just to remind you of our outline last week that you got. No, you didn't get, you didn't get, you didn't get. Uh, uh, we put it on the overhead okay so we're looking at Galatians the book of Christian liberty and we found that the epistle is divided into uh, three sections as we've got here so the first section chapters one and two the personal section uh, chapters three and four uh, doctrinal section chapter five and six the practical section so chapter one mainly dealt with the uh, gospel according to Paul Tonight we want to particularly look at the gospel apostles, Peter and Paul. That's the whole area we want to look at tonight, uh, as uh, you've sort of got on your notes there. All right, now, let me just uh, go over to the whiteboard here and, and uh, put something down that may help us. Now, I don't know uh, how uh, you've felt over the years, uh, how many of have read the epistle uh, to the Galatian church, you know. Has anybody not read it? Anybody? Hands up. Well, that looks like we're all safe. I was going to say why, but I didn't catch anybody. All right, now, over the years, I've, uh, you know, read quite a lot. And uh, the two major apostles, as we said last week or somewhere here, were Peter and Paul, and there just seemed to be some sort of a conflict in the churches over, well, Peter and Paul. Who does Paul think he is? And uh, uh, the way Paul writes his letters, nearly every letter he addresses to the churches, except uh, if he wrote Hebrews, he doesn't there, but uh, pretty well all the other epistles, Paul always starts off with, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What would you think that uh, if you got 13 letters from Kevin Connor? Kevin Connor, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Don't think out loud, that's all right. Uh, how many would think, boy, this guy's a little bit conceited about himself? And so as I've studied Paul's epistles, Paul always seemed to be defending his apostleship. And uh, he starts off as said, all generally that way, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here in the Galatian epistle, as we've seen together, he's pretty strong about it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. 
and uh, he keeps, comes on pretty heavy, pretty strong in this chapter because of what's happening in the churches of Galatia, as we've already seen. Now, what we want to particularly look at is, uh, in due time, the difference between Peter and Paul, and we'll pick up from last week. So when we look at Peter, and these are the, these are the things that people were saying about uh, Peter. Well, Peter was with the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years, his ministry. From when, he was, when Jesus began his ministry and walked along the seashore and saw Peter, James and John and Andrew, fishermen, said, follow me. And all the things that we have in, in the Gospels, particularly when the Lord said to Peter after he made the great confession, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose. So Matthew 16, that is, if you want the reference, verses 20 to 25. I think that's right. Yeah, Matthew 16, verse 20 to 25. So Peter is the one that uh, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom to. And so right through the Gospels, there's another thing picking up from last, uh, last week here. Peter personally knew the Christ of history, the historical Christ. I'll just put uh, that abbreviate here. He personally knew the Christ of history. So Peter could say, listen, what I've got, I received the keys of the kingdom. I was with the Lord Jesus Christ over three and a half years. I was there, you know, the miracle fish. I helped feed the 5,000. Uh, he promised me the keys of the kingdom. I was there at his resurrection, even though I denied him. He said, go and tell Peter. And Peter could give his whole history of three and a half years. And he said, the consummation of it all is that I was there when Jesus uh, died and was buried and rose again, and Jesus actually made a personal resurrection, uh, a personal appearance to me after his resurrection. Later on, we see how Paul says, Look, am not I an apostle? Have not I seen the Lord? Or only Peter and all these other guys? I'm not an apostle, and he counted as one of the keys of apostleship, particularly his, that he had seen the Lord. And so Peter could look at all that. He knew the Christ of history and saw the Christ. Uh, once you add that, what we finish up with last week, the Christ after the flesh. The Christ after the flesh. So uh, let's turn over to First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter three for a couple of verses. There may be some references I give you that may not be on your on your sheets, but just uh, let's turn to them a moment. First uh, Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three, and why don't you put down uh, verses nine to eleven? And uh, you see the conflict in the Corinthian church is over Peter and Paul, and uh, sectarianism arose out of personalities. So 1 Corinthians 3 and uh, verses 9 to 11. Where is it? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9 to 11. Uh, yeah, Paul, Paul says, uh, no, let's go back a little bit here. Back a little bit. Uh, verse 4, okay? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4, sorry. Uh, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? 
but ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And then go down to, uh, maybe it's the, yes, the uh, verse 20, 21 through to 23, where he brings in Peter, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, uh, which was uh, another name for Peter, you were Cephas the rock, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours in you, Christ, and Christ is God. So Paul's saying, look, don't you know, get wrapped up in it. You know, whether it's Peter, Paul, or Paulus, so getting wrapped up in personalities. I like Peter, but he had the keys again. I like Paul. He's more of a theologian. And, you know, that whole Corinthian carnality, being wrapped up in personalities and missing, missing the truth uh, that was given. Uh, go way over to the end, of the end of the Bible here, to Second Peter. And this is years later after what we worked through tonight uh, uh, this is what Peter ends up saying. Second Peter chapter 3. We'll come to the conflict between Peter and Paul in a little while, but Second Peter chapter 3 and verses 14 to 16. This is not on your notes, by the way. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Peter's coming to the end of his life. Paul's coming to the end of his life, if he hasn't already been beheaded. And so Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Wherefore... Uh, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, and uh, something's happened to Peter, <laughs> even as our beloved brother Paul. He didn't feel he was too beloved way back in the early peace there, and he didn't feel he was too much of a brother. But uh, at the end, uh, you know, they get reconciled. He, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. And uh, probably this is Peter's sort of summary of what I said last week about Paul. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. How many would agree that there are some things hard to be understood in Paul's epistles? Uh, I mean, Peter thought that. Okay, so as brilliant as Peter was, he didn't get it all. He didn't get the whole revelation. We need Paul. So he said, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist, torture on the rack, the Greek meaning of that word is, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So Paul, Peter. All right, now how many realize, we know that already, we need Peter, but we need Paul. When you get to heaven, uh, who, uh, who are you going to go and talk to first? I mean, beside Jesus. <laughs> How many like Peter? How many like Paul? I, I, I like Peter for this reason, because when Peter writes his epistle, he never knows where the scripture reference is, so he just says, it is written in a certain place. <laughs> How many like Peter? But Paul says, it is written in the second psalm. So how many like Peter, but, you know, oh, it's written in a certain place, 66 books of the Bible, yeah, take your guess. Uh, yeah, so I like Peter, always putting his foot in his mouth, both hands at once, always blubbering out there, but I like Paul too. Uh, we need them both, we need them both. Okay, now let's go to uh, your notes here. 
On the uh, first section, we'll come back to this in a moment here. Uh, on the first section, title of our session, and I put from Judaism to Christ, uh, Peter and Paul. All right, under A, Paul's conversion, Judaism to Christ, Acts chapter 9 centers around the conversion of the Apostle Paul, who was then Saul. Now, you'll notice that in the passage we read in Ephesians tonight, uh, in Ephesians, Galatians, pardon me, in Galatians tonight, it's impossible to understand some of the things that Paul says in that passage we read from Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2 without uh, superimposing Acts chapter 9 and some of the verses there, uh, therein on it. So let's uh, look at number one, Saul the destroyer. We've uh, alluded to this on the previous session, but just to uh, bring it together tonight. All right, Saul the destroyer. As we look at Acts 9, uh, with uh, Acts 22, 26, three chapters in the book of Acts deal with Paul's testimony and his conversion to Christ. And uh, these chapters in Acts need to be connected up with Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, where he said, in the Jews' religion. One of the main leaders of, in the persecution of the early church under his time, men and women were committed to prison, as we have in those references. Now, it's important for us, and uh, maybe I'll just fill in this a little bit more. So, uh, Peter knows the Christ after history, the historical Christ, the Christ after the flesh, three and a half years, and then uh, Peter uh, comes to see the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. Now, years later, we've got to come and deal with Paul, and uh, we want to fill out our chart a little bit more here. Acts chapter uh, 1 through 12, you've got this on your notes, we find that uh, Peter is the major apostle. So the prophecies and the promises that were given to him in the Gospels about using the keys of the kingdom, in Acts chapter 1 we see Peter doing that. Let's put this on while it's in my mind. Peter is the one that witnesses the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Jews. That's Acts chapter 2. And then Peter is the one that witnesses the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. That's Acts uh, chapter 10 and 11. And it's in those chapters Peter uses the keys of the kingdom. So Peter is the major apostle there out of the 12. He's the one. So in Acts chapter 1 through to 12, uh, Peter witnesses the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Jews, day of Pentecost. And then uh, Acts chapter 10 and 11, he witnesses another day of Pentecost, so to speak, on the Gentiles. And in both cases, Peter lays out the keys of the kingdom and uh, sees the Jews and the Gentiles come into the church. But now, what are we going to do with Paul? He's the one that we've got to, he's got to pick up where, where, uh, where Peter finishes, really. All right, now, let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and uh, listen to what Paul says about himself, and uh, remember that Paul is not a little Jesus boy with a t-shirt on his back, or a Jesus is Lord badge, doesn't wear his cap backwards, he's not a little hippie boy. <laughs> Where's Philippians? Yeah, it's all right, page 1468. All right, Philippians chapter 3, and uh, on your notes there, I've listed about seven or eight things that uh, Paul, or Saul, Paul says about himself, and uh, we'll pick up in verse, uh, verse 2, 
Philippians 3 verse 2, beware of dogs. And he's not talking about four-legged dogs. He's talking about two-legged dogs uh, that wear a dog collar. Uh, pardon me, thinking out loud there. Uh, he's talking about those that walk into their collar instead of backing into it. I, I back into mine. If I turned it around, I'd be walking into it. Uh, it's an interesting expression, that dog collar, isn't it? Uh, so anyway, beware of dogs. Uh, beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which, number one, worship God in the Spirit. Number two, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And number three, have no confidence in the flesh. That's what the true circumcision is. Not the circumcision of the flesh, but the true circumcision. We worship God in spirit. Number two, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. And number three, we have no confidence in the flesh. But then he lists out, as I've put on your notes there, a number of things that he could have boasted. He said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks that he is where I, uh, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Number one, or yet first asterisk there, circumcise the eighth day. So, eight, the number of resurrection, whole study in itself. But uh, the Abrahamic covenant, the sign and seal of the Abrahamic covenant, when we get into, uh, into the covenants here, uh, the sign and seal of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. So Paul says, hey, I'm already as a Jew in covenant relationship with God. I've got the covenant sign and seal, circumcision. So circumcised on the eighth day. Remember, just to put this for in the little mind, some of you, uh, a child was nameless until the eighth day when circumcision took place. The name was provided, but the name was not put on the child until it was circumcised the eighth day. Now see, New Testament circumcision is brought into water baptism. And I have to take this kindly, a lot of baptisms today are nameless baptisms. But when we're baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, then the name is invoked upon us, I baptize you into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you rise to walk in newness of life because resurrection is number eight. Eight is the number of resurrection. Christ rose on the eighth day or the first day of the week. <clears throat> it's more than that than meets the eye. So it's good to check out your foundation, your baptism. Was it nameless? Was the name invoked upon you in baptism or not? Something to think about between now and the millennium. All right, so circumcised the uh, number two of the stock of Israel. And when he talks about being the stock of Israel, he's talking about uh, pure Hebrew origin. He's no crossbred, come back, pure he Hebrew origin. Number three, of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, I haven't got time to uh, digress here too much, but it is so interesting in a study that I've done. Uh, you have two Saul's in the Bible. You have an Old Testament Saul and you have a New Testament Saul, and uh, the correspondence between them is amazing. Uh, this Saul uh, began his ministry with anointing and three days. And he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and had signs and wonders, was given another heart, but ends up in spiritism. 
this Saul starts his ministry off with three days and three nights, baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism in water, signs and wonders, ends up warning against spiritism. It's just like God said, look, I was so disappointed and what I lost in the Old Testament Saul, I'm going to save this New, New Testament Saul and I'm going to make up in him what I lost in, in that. So it's, a, it's amazing correspondence. So, you know, the tribe of Benjamin, that's pretty heavy. Uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, he's of Rachel. He's not a child of any of the handmaids that Jacob had, but the proper wives, Rachel, Leah. So Saul of Rachel here. Number four here, he says... I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I don't have a mixture of blood. I'm not a half-caste or anything like that. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then this part here, as touching the law, a Pharisee. I was uh, reading uh, something today about some of the things, you know, that Pharisees, Pharisees do. And when you think of Paul, or Paul or Saul as he was then being brought up as a Pharisee, uh, as you go through, uh, through uh, Saul's whole life story and some of the commentaries have done this. It's interesting that Saul was born about the same time as Jesus. How many believe God is sovereign? Six of us. How many believe God is sovereign? And that you know when Jesus was born here in Bethlehem and his whole ministry in Jerusalem and Judea and that, the same time that Jesus is ministering, Saul has been born He's learning as a Pharisee, but he's not there over these years of John the Baptist and Jesus. He's, he's down in a Gentile city, Tarsus, which was given over to Baal worship, had a university in it. Uh, Paul was, uh, Saul was a tent maker. They had goats there where they made famous tents there. Uh, and, and, and it was a Gentile city with a Jewish synagogue. So all this background, and Saul never knew that those 30 years there or so that the Lord was preparing him, uh, like saying, hey, listen, Saul, one day you're going to meet Jesus and you're going to become the theological interpreter of the historical Christ. All that, you know, the head of the church is working on that. And so uh, years in the... Uh, uh, when Paul went, uh, they generally, as a Jewish boy, they had to learn a trade, uh, always, and also uh, into the synagogue when he was 13 years of age and then trained at the feet of Gamaliel. I don't know, I don't know how uh, exacting this is, but uh, books I've read on this, they say, a Pharisee had to know the five books of the Old Testament off by heart. They had to learn the scriptures. And as you go through Paul's writings, his epistles, he is so filled with Old Testament scriptures uh, a lot of his epistles are just Old Testament scriptures woven together. It's just part and parcel. It's in every cell of his body. And so, you know, as a Pharisee, uh, the straightest sect, very sect, uh, very, uh, very strict. So touching the law of Pharisee, uh, number six here, concerning zeal, a very zealous man persecuting the church. And uh, we, we, have to, we have to see, it's hard for us, you know, almost uh, 1,990 years down this end of the age, it's, it's hard for us to sort of project ourselves back into the historical setting there. We have to do it. And uh, so, you know, 
as I've tried to do it, looking at Paul and that. I mean, you know, when Saul being a Pharisee and the Old Testament scriptures, if anybody uh, rose up and did signs and wonders and drew people after another God, then they were to be stoned. And if a, a false prophet arose among you, they were to be hung on a tree. So Saul knew all those scriptures. So as far as he's concerned in the last number of years, with this man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's been performing signs and wonders. People call him a prophet and he's been deceiving people. He's splitting the synagogues everywhere. Everywhere he goes, the synagogues are split right open. The elders in the synagogues, the priests up in the temple. I mean, he's just a rebel. So, you know, you have to see it from Saul the Pharisees, mine. What's going on? And then the worst thing is now that when the, when the, uh, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests had done exactly what Saul would have done, hung him on a tree and crucified him, now the lie is going around that this man has been raised from the dead and they stole his body and now they're worshipping him and calling this man Jesus Lord. See, you know, all that our minds we don't sort of comprehend so that was the shock on the Damascus road who art thou Lord he thought he was talking to as we mentioned previously the God of the Old Testament but the shock when he says I'm not Lord I am Jesus and then he says Lord Jesus he called Jesus Lord so you know I mean that's that, that that's that's the setting we have here okay uh, so concerning zeal persecuting the church so he thought he was doing right. Turn over, uh, to, uh, just hold that a moment, and uh, turn to Timothy, and look what Paul uh, says here. Uh, I think it's First uh, Timothy. <clears throat> yeah, First Timothy chapter one. Look what he says here. First Timothy chapter one, <clears throat> and verse twelve. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So, you know, the head of the church just sees him and says, Hey, I'm going to nab him. He's had a good education and he'll just be the one that I need to be the theologian, the theological interpreter of the historical Christ. So, you know, he's just not a little Jesus freak or anything like that. Okay, back to Philippians then. <clears throat> Persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. There's a lot of things he could boast in. So Paul could go through the Ten Commandments and say basically... I haven't had any gods, I haven't been an idolater, even though I've been in Tarsus, an idolatrous city with all the temples to heathen deities. I've stuck to my little synagogue there, I've worshipped the true God, I've honoured my father and my mother, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't taken the name of God in vain, uh, I haven't been swearing or coveting. Well, coveting, yeah, that's the one that did hit him. But he said, touching the external righteousness of the law, blameless. That's pretty, pretty clear record. So he uh, wasn't getting up behind the pulpit and glamorizing sin. So, well, I used to do this, that, and the other. No, he's righteousness of law, blameless. Um, 
Because, because Galatians deals with justification by faith and a faith righteousness, let's continue there. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Uh, New King James refines the word. Uh, and count them as rubbish, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death, if by any means I might attain unto, literally, the out from among the dead ones, the out-resurrection from among the dead. Because everybody's not going to be raised when Jesus comes a second time, just the goodies. The first resurrection. And then on your notes there, I'll put a couple of other things. So blameless, morally righteous man, a tent maker, every, every Jew had to have a trade, Roman citizenship also, which was going to stand him in good stead, and uh, his name, which means destroyer, and then Jesus warned of persecution for his name's sake. All right, then, continue on your notes here. We uh, touched on this previously. So Saul apprehended of Christ, and you compare Acts 9, 3 to 9, with Galatians 1 through 15 to 16. The light from heaven, brighter than the noonday sun, the voice of the Lord, uh, persecuting Christ in his body, Remember, Jesus said, as much as you do it unto these, the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. He confessed Jesus as Lord. Uh, why don't you put, oh, you've got it there, that's okay. 1 Corinthians 12, no man can say Jesus is the Lord, but by the Spirit. And the moment he called Jesus Lord, it was by the Spirit. Paul was actually born again, I believe, on the Damascus Road. Uh, confirmation of the Lord's will through Ananias. Uh, where the Lord spoke to Ananias and to Saul. He said, a man's going to come by the name of Ananias and he, he's going to lay hands on you, you're going to be healed and he's going to tell you what you are to do. Blinded eyes. Remember, we looked at that previously that when the scales fell from his eyes, so physical pointed to the spiritual. Paul was blind spiritually to the things of Christ, but when his eyes were opened physically, there was also a, a spiritual opening. Then the uh, point I have there, and I think there, there is some significance uh, in this part here, that, uh, okay, so Paul experiences in a measure what happened back here. Three days and three nights, and uh, I said before that Paul, in a sense, three days and three nights, he's without food and water, fasting. Uh, Jesus was in a forced fast there. Three days and three nights without food or water. And this is what I refer to as Paul's Calvary experience. What do you think went, was going through Paul's mind over those three days and three nights? Because somehow in his Calvary experience, it was going to link him up with this. 
I'll put down on, on, on your notes, uh, we'll pick that up in a moment, but uh, we looked at last week. How many men in the Bible touched something of Calvary? When Abraham rejoiced to see my day, three days journey with the only begotten son. That was Abraham's Calvary experience. Esther, three days and three nights, prayer and fasting. If I perish, I perish. That was her Calvary experience. Jonah, three days and three nights in the heart of fish. That was his Calvary experience. A death, a burial, a, a resurrection when the, 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 the fish got sick, sick of a backslidden preacher and perked him out where he should have started off at the beginning. All those were Calvary experiences. Jesus has his Calvary experience. Paul, uh, the foundation of Jesus' ministry is three days and three nights. The greatest sign of all signs is if you don't believe this sign, you're not going to believe all the other signs that I give you. This is the sign of signs. Three days and three nights. And it's the foundation of Christ's heavenly ministry. And so there's something about here, Paul fasting and praying and blind for three days and three nights and at the end. So it's sort of Paul's Calvary experience, the foundation of his ministry. And uh, back in the olden days where some of us come from here, looking down in a particular direction, we used to fast, do a lot of prayer and fasting, three days and three nights without food and water, which is a biblical fast. I remember when I was a bit younger and used to do quite a lot of it. I don't do it now. I used to suck my toothbrush quite a lot and get a good drink of water before I began. Did you remember those days? Yes. Anybody ever had a three-day and three-night fast without food and water? Yes. Okay. That, that's a biblical fast. The next one is 40 days. I've never gone for that. I did do 40 breakfasts once. I fasted 40 breakfasts. Anyway, why did I say that? must have been for someone. All right, so three days. So, okay, three days and three nights, sort of a uh, Saul's Calvary experience here, as I've put on there, and then the uh, disciple Ananias comes. Let's go over to Acts 9 on this little part here as we keep moving, because time is, wow. I need to move to. Now, if you haven't marked your Bible here, um, notice how many times the name is mentioned. And we are a church that believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many can say amen? And uh, notice how many times, because he blasphemed the name, he was against the name. Jesus said, you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. So in uh, Acts 9, verse 20, oh no, have I got that right there? Verse uh, 14, let's see, yeah, 14. Uh, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Then verse 15, uh, which is on your notes here. The Lord said to him, that Ananias, go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And see, what's happening now, I, I personally believe this, I can't give you chapter and verse for it, but I personally believe that Ananias is a prophet. He's not just any little Tom, Dick, and Harry, because Acts chapter 13 through to 28 now is Paul's ministry. 
So Acts chapter 1 through to 12 deals with Peter's ministry and the initial outpouring of the Spirit on the Jews and on the Gentiles. But now Paul is going to be the one. Uh, and from Acts 13 to 28, we have Paul's ministry, beginning with this Calvary experience, so to speak. And uh, now he's going to be bear the name. And you'll notice the three things. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles. So Paul is going to become the great apostle to the Gentiles and before kings. And then uh, number three, before the children of Israel. And so this, this is a sort of prophetic outline of Paul's ministry, and that's what he does from now on. He, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He goes to kings, King Agrippa, King Festus, and chapters on the kings. And every city he goes to, he goes to the synagogues, to the Jews, to the people of Israel. That's his ministry. So I, I personally believe Ananias was a prophet moving in prophetic ministry. Then uh, he says, a chosen vessel to bear my name. Verse 16, for I will show unto him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And then uh, how the scales fell from his eyes when he was healed there, as we uh, uh, mentioned previously. Then he, in verse, um, verse 21 but all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? So just that whole emphasis. Verse 27 uh, and verse 29, the latter part. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And verse 29, he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whole emphasis and uh, have I put it on your, on your notes there? I don't think I have. Put down Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. And uh, I think it's verse 17. Paul said, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name. Whatever you say, whatever you do. I think it's Colossians 2. 317. Okay, have I got it down there? Yeah, thank you. Colossians, the typewriter made a mistake there. Always blame the typewriter. Colossians 317. Yeah, whatever you do, do in word or in deed, do all in the name. Now, on, on your notes here, just continuing down. Number four, Saul at Damascus. And we're told that Saul was at Damascus certain days. And then, number five, Saul's itinerary. Acts 9, 23, 31, with Galatians chapter 1. That's why I'm spending time on Acts 9 with Galatians because Paul's going through that whole thing here. So the time period of many days, so in Acts uh, 9 we're told he was at Damascus certain days and then many days. So what we can pick up from Galatians corresponding with Acts is he went to Arabia. Let me uh, say a thought here. According to tradition, and as far as people can gather up, uh, he went to the same place in Arabia that Moses was in Arabia at Mount Sinai. If, uh, if that's so, that's an interesting thought because Paul actually becomes the interpreter of Moses in the Old Testament. And that both Moses and Paul, Moses is the one that gets the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, and Paul is the one, after Jesus established the new covenant, interprets that. And Paul's always going back to Moses and interpreting Moses, the old covenant, passing it through the cross. 
and bringing it to new covenant belief. I mean, what would we do without Paul's uh, revelation here? All right, then uh, he goes back to Damascus. And if you check over 2 Corinthians chapter 11.33, uh, we have the over the wall in a basket episode. How many have heard that expression, he's a basket case? Well, you know, Paul gets the big mention here, but how many are glad that the guy who held the rope <laughs> when he let Paul over the wall in a basket didn't let the rope, <laughs> holding that rope when I was a basket case. <laughs> then uh, Galatians 1.17, then uh, Jerusalem, Galatians 1, after three years, he goes up to see Peter and James for 15 days, and uh, must have been interesting. Uh, one, one thing I, I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate a lot of things about Paul, but uh, with all the revelation that Paul had, Paul was a very humble man. How many believe that? It look, could look he was proud. Uh, he had a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. But he says, I went up by revelation. Fourteen years later, I went up by revelation to those who were apostles before me, and I communicated to them that gospel that I preached. That's a big man that was willing to submit his gospel to those who were apostles before him. And he says, well, you know, they didn't add anything to me. And he takes up Titus there. Uh, we might, might just uh, yeah, continue on the notes here. So Syria and Cilicia, then back to Tarsus, his own hometown. He was unknown to the churches in Judea. And then later on, he goes to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. Uh, and remember that when... When Paul picked up Timothy, uh, because Timothy had a Hebrew or a Jewish mother and a Greek father, Paul, though he didn't believe in circumcision, he had Timothy circumcised because, he said, we're going to the synagogues. And Timothy was a pretty humble young man to submit to that. But later on, when things got pretty hoity-toity, they wanted to get Titus circumcised, and Paul said, hey, nothing doing. I, I let poor Timothy go through that, the poor kid. He wasn't a little baby. But uh, Titus, I, 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 you know, my mischievous Australian often thinks, I wonder when Titus and Timothy got together and they were discussing this. I wonder if Titus said, oh, you poor guy, Timothy. You had to get circumcised when you're a young man about, you know, 17, 20 years of age. I'm glad I escaped that. No wonder. I'm sure they did. They were human beings. And you're allowed to laugh. That's perfectly all right. Right, okay. And then you'll notice in uh, Galatians chapter 2 when... when, when uh, oh, I need to put this down here. Over on this side, Jerusalem was the, the capital and the center of all Peter's ministry, and what became the great church, Antioch, became the great missionary church and the center for Paul. So now Peter comes down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he gets scared to death, because he'd been eaten with the Gentiles before, way back here, and as soon as he gets down here, the Jews you know, get on a piece and say, hey, Peter, who do you think you are? What about circumcision? What about those dirty Gentile dogs? And you're eating with them. And so Peter backed out, scared. I mean, the big apostle, scared. And so, you know, Paul was no pussyfoot. He rebuked him. He said, listen here, Peter. 
you ate with the Gentiles and all that, and now you want to make the Gentiles Jews. I mean, you know, you're, where's your gospel? What are you doing? You're a big compromiser. And I mean, it was pretty, pretty hoity-toity. It wasn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild. There, look upon a little child. I mean, Paul had to rebuke him in front of the brethren. He said, I did this in front of the brethren because, hey, we're justified by faith. You know, Peter, and I can imagine the conversation, you know, Peter, that when God sent you down to the Gentiles, they were unclean Gentile dogs. They were uncircumcised. You were preaching the gospel, and the Lord didn't even wait for you to take up the offering or make the announcements. The Holy Spirit fell on them while in the middle of your preaching, cut you off in the midst of your message. And then you turn around and baptize the Gentiles because you said, Peter, that if it's good enough for the Lord Jesus to baptize the Gentiles in the Holy Spirit without circumcision, without the Sabbath days, without animal sacrifices, that it's good enough for me to baptize them in water. And you just back back. How many could hear Paul really giving, giving Peter a piece of his mind he could ill afford to lose? Yeah. All right. Just a few more moments here. How you doing? You all doing all right out there? Uh, so on our notes here, so Antioch Church, Paul's reproof to Peter, and that, that would be the type of thing I'd be saying to Peter. It's interesting how the Roman Church likes to have Pope Peter and Pope Paul. In fact, in Roman history, I've got a history of the popes, there were three popes reigning at the same time, all anathematizing each other. All infallible, of course. Uh, anyway, back to our notes. Um, I have to watch my mischievous spirit. In fact, uh, a number of years ago, someone said I have a mischievous spirit and they tried to cast it out of me. That's not time for me to quit. We've still got a few minutes. Okay, so uh, Antioch Church, Paul's reproof, uh, reproof to Peter. And then we have down the bottom there, Paul's Gospel, justification by faith apart from law. And then 14 years later, the Council of Jerusalem and the dispute over circumcision uh, where Paul and Barnabas and uh, uh, the brethren go up to Jerusalem. And the big issue is there over the Gentiles. Now... Um, Go over to your next page there as we have a few more moments here. Let me ask you a question here. Um, how many believe that uh, Paul uh, became the 12th apostle and replaced Judas? Uh, yes, you've learned too much, haven't you? Um, how many believe that Matthias was the 12th apostle? Okay, how many have a uh, frightened of getting caught? <laughs> All right, I sort of need a uh, rag here or something. Oh, this will do. Okay, let me just give you something that uh, a brother Patterson gave to me a number of years ago, and it's a very interesting thing, so uh, you don't have to believe this, but uh, it is an interesting thing. So let's see, we'll sort of put it on this section here. Um, on your notes here, uh, I'll put some scriptures here. Paul, foundation apostle. 
Now, in the Scriptures, we'll turn over these Scriptures. When, when uh, you had the twelve apostles and Judas fell, in Acts chapter 1, they've got to replace Judas. And so, Acts chapter 1, just look at these Scriptures here, uh, and we'll, we'll give you something on the human side, and then something that I believe happened on the divine side. Acts chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, they're casting lots, and remember, this is before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit was poured out. They're casting lots, which was Old Testament Hebrew custom, uh, like casting lots on the scapegoat and so forth. So the lot is cast into the lap, but the choice or decision is of the Lord, the book of Proverbs says. So it was okay before the Spirit came. So they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So uh, Matthias becomes the 12th apostle there. Chapter 2 and verse 14, and we're told, but Peter's standing up with the 11. So Matthias is counted as one of the 12. Chapter 6 and verse 2 of the book of Acts, these scriptures are on your notes. Chapter 6, verse 2. Then the 12, not the 11, then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples under them. And then Paul himself, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, also must have recognized Matthias as the 12th. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. And he says, uh, yes, uh, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the 12. So he must include uh, Matthias as the 12th. But we find that in these other scriptures I've put there that Paul styles himself or claims to be apostle extraordinary and that as an apostle he laid the foundation. And when you get to the city of God in the book of uh, Revelation, you see the names of the 12 apostles in the foundation. Now here's a very interesting picture that we have here, and uh, we'll go way back to the Old Testament again, and then bring it into the New. In the Old Testament church in the wilderness, Acts 7.38, which is on your notes, I think, we have a pattern here, we have this 3, 12, 70, and then we have the nation, the multitude. Now in the Old Testament church, we have this foundation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then we have the 12 sons of Jacob. And let me do this here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then from the 12 sons of Jacob came 70 souls that went down into Egypt and then from the 70 souls came the nation of Israel, which is now called the church in the wilderness. Now that's the type, the Old Testament type. But what happened? One of the 12 sons of Jacob falls, Reuben, and he loses the birthright, and so... When Jacob is prophesying over his sons, he brings in two sons of Joseph, Ephraim 
and Manasseh, making 13. But as he's prophesying over them, he crosses his hands, and, uh, and uh, jo- Joseph said to Jacob, hey, Dad, you're blind. He said, yeah, I might be blind physically, I'm not blind spiritually. And he crosses his hands, and instead of Manasseh, he says, Ephraim, the 13th, is my firstborn, and he gets the double portion. Now, when you come to the New Testament, you'd think the Bible was inspired. I wanted a smile of yes. And we come to the antitype of what God saw. So we have three days and three nights and a revelation of the Godhead. We have 12 apostles. We have 70 disciples. And then we have the New Testament church. Now, uncannily, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the Godhead. We have 12 apostles. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. We have seven disciples, then we have the church. But this seems to follow this because one of the apostles falls, Judas. Now the problem is, just as Reuben fell and lost his birthright and Judas fell and lost his bishopric and lost his apostleship, they bring in two men here, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they bring in two here in the New Testament particularly, we have Matthias and Paul, 13. So now, un, in the spirit, Jacob crosses his hands and puts his hand. And though Manasseh was brought in as the 12th, yet Ephraim is brought in as the one with the double portion. And though they chose Matthias, something divine happened where Paul is chosen. He said, I laid the foundation. I am apostle extraordinary. And I personally believe that though Matthias was chosen by lot before the Spirit was poured out, Paul was chosen by the Spirit after Pentecost. And I think when we get to heaven, Paul, we will see Paul's name in the foundation of the holy city. Anyway, ask him when you get there. How many think that's a tremendous picture? And that is repeated a number of times. Because we believe in heaven, as a time, that in heaven, before earth, there was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 12 archangels, 70 in the heavenly Sanhedrin, the angelic host, and one of the 12 archangels fell, Lucifer. Always the pattern is one of the 12 falls. And may I say this, though it mightn't mean much to you at the moment. I believe in the last days there's going to be a revelation of 12 apostles as the crowning star on the head of the bride in Revelation 12, one of them will fall. We have a fallen apostle, a fallen archangel, a fallen son. So, you know, God's got something in mind. We're not just playing church. God's working towards something. How many believe that? So, you know, it makes this whole thing. Peter, Paul, yeah, Peter, Paul. Okay, we just have a few more moments here.
All right, under C on your notes, there are two great apostles of the New Testament. So as we go back to Galatians now for our last moment here. So after all the hassle of everything, uh, the brethren say, okay, we've got to recognize we need Peter, we need Paul. They are both apostles. They both have distinct ministries. And so what we'll do is Peter will be the apostle to the circumcision, Christ, brethren, after the flesh, the Jews. Paul will be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so we recognize both ministries. They both reach different cultures. Peter has his grace. Paul has extra grace to handle the Gentile nation. So we gave them the right hands of fellowship and say, yeah, okay, uh, we, we accept you in apostolic ministry. So Peter the apostle to the circumcision. Acts chapters 1 to 12, Jerusalem the center of apostolic ministry uh, and ministry Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. That's Peter's ministry. Then Paul, apostle to the circumcision, Acts 13 to 28 chapters, Antioch, the center of apostolic ministry of Paul, and his ministry is to go to the uttermost part of the then known earth. Paul had to continually defend his apostleship to the church as he wrote, hence so often, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, not of man, not by man, but by, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you go through those scriptures there, am not I an apostle? Have not I seen the Lord? And I think one of the most wonderful things there is, and I was going to have you write it down, but I knew your pens would be smoking and we'd have to get the fire extinguisher. I put this out. This is what I believe the Lord Jesus did and said, okay, I'm going to show you that Peter is my apostle, but also Paul is my apostle. And I'm going to do, let, let me throw this in. Ephraim received the double portion. You will find, if Paul is the apostle of the twelve in the foundation, Matthias before Pentecost casting Lot's Old Testament custom. Paul was not chosen by Lot's Old Testament custom. He's chosen by the Lord personally himself. And Paul is the one that receives what Ephraim did, double portion. So you can look at your notes or look up here. So here we have apostle to the Jews, the circumcision, Foundation ministry, Paul is foundation ministry, the apostle of the Gentiles. Apostolic revelation of the church, Paul receives apostolic revelation of the church, not only to the church, but of the church. To the Jew first, to the synagogues first, Paul goes. Then to the Gentiles, Paul goes to the Gentiles. Uh, Peter lays hands on the Samaritans, Paul lays hands on the Ephesians. Outpoured Holy Spirit, Pentecost, outpoured Holy Spirit, Pentecost. Healed a lame man, Paul healed a lame man. Peter raised one person from the dead, Paul raised one person from the dead. Peter had signs and wonders, Paul had signs and wonders. Peter has to deal with a sorcerer, one, Paul deals with a sorcerer. Peter witnessed before the Sanhedrin, Paul witnessed before the Sanhedrin. There are seven addresses of Peter recorded in the book of Acts, seven addresses of Paul recorded in Acts. Peter established local churches in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Uh, Paul established local churches in outermost parts of the earth. Peter was witnessed for, uh, imprisoned for witnessing. Paul was imprisoned for witnessing. Uh, the angel of the Lord delivered Peter from prison. Uh, and Paul, angel of the Lord, sends an earthquake while he's in prison. Peter was arrested in the temple. Paul was arrested in the temple. Peter's chains fell off. Uh, Paul's chains were loosed. Peter was a man of heavenly visions, so was Paul. Man of heavenly visions, 
religious and political opposition, Peter experienced. Paul experienced religious and political opposition. Uh, Peter was beaten for the name of Jesus. Paul was beaten and stoned for the Lord. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the earth. And dear beloved Peter, he writes two epistles, and Paul writes 14 epistles. If you take the 14, that's if he wrote Hebrews, take Paul's 14 epistles out of the New Testament, how many know that we would be losing a lot of truth, a double portion upon that man? All right, so I hope that this has helped you to understand a little bit more of Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2 and why Paul is continually defending his apostleship. And so he could say, I am not one bit behind of any of the apostles. You boast in Peter, but if I want to boast, okay, anything that the Lord did through Peter, he's done through me, and I believe God put his seal upon Paul's apostolic ministry because of this whole thing. So we need Peter, we need Paul, we need both. We need the lot. So we don't worship men or deify men, but we worship the Lord Jesus Christ who gave us Peter and gave us Paul. Everybody said amen. Everybody understood these things tonight? Any questions before we finish? Uh, Any questions on what we've covered tonight? How many feel this has clarified some things for you? Any questions on what we've done tonight? All right. God bless you. You are dismissed. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.